Welcome back to Train to Win, the podcast produced by the Association for Talent Development, Houston Chapter, inspiring talent development professionals to achieve their full potential. Hi, this is Bruce Abbott, and it has been a while since our last podcast, but we are back just off of our 2022 Talent Development Conference themed reInvent. And the best part of this conference was in person. It was awesome, live, face-to-face, real people seeing each other again and having conversations in person that some of these people we haven't seen maybe in two years in person. And one of the conversations at the conference, it was with one of my favorite chapter colleagues. And he said, hey, let's do a podcast. And so here we are, Kent Nuttall, author of the book, Untapped Value, The Power of Meaningful Competence, longtime ATD Houston member uh, involved in just about every facet of this chapter over the years. And I am so excited about having this conversation today. Thank you, Kent, for being here today. I appreciate getting this opportunity to talk with you over this book and to share with others. Yeah, and we had a chance to talk. We were talking about this idea of performance reviews and, and expectations and I thought, okay, this is something that we have to share with the chapter. Probably the best way to get into this is really mention the book because the book is where all of this comes from. Innovative new approaches that that focus you and your supervisor on the actual value that we create. I mean, employee evaluation reinvented. We were talking about reinvent from the conference. I want to dive into this book, but first, what is your motivation for this book? You have an interesting story I'm, I see here. I have a few, and and a couple of them are in the book themselves. I mean, I went through annual appraisals just like everybody else, and I think I have the same opinion as everybody else after having gone through annual appraisals to begin. <laughs> you know, uh, 80% of the people, actually, nearly 100% have, have annual appraisal stories to tell me. But the two that got me most was there was one that I was given an appraisal where after they gave me, uh, what was it, uh, three fours and two threes, which I would say, you know, averages out to four. They turn the paper over and say, but you are our top employee. You keep the department running. You're the one that everybody turns to, everything like that. And I'm looking at them saying, well, wait a minute. You just marked me as an average three, not a four or a five. And and, and they stuck with the three. And I'm thinking, there's another reason for them giving me a three, because it doesn't match what they said. So, but, you know, you endure because that's how appraisals sometimes go. But then I hit another one where I, I got I got a really good uh, score. You know, I'm, I'm up there in the ratings. And uh, then the manager turns to me, he says, and next year, I'll expect much better out of you now, knowing what you can now do, knowing now what you can do. And I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. If I do the same performance next year, is it now average or is it still going to get a high rating? And it was confusing to me. I had a performance review. Uh, I worked for one, one, of the, one of the big media companies and had a performance review. And they gave me four stars, four out of five. And they said, they said, we, we really like what you do. But if I give you five stars, there's a lot of paperwork I have to do with this. So I, if you're okay <laughs> with four stars... <laughs> Like I say, everyone has at least one story, <laughs> if not 20. Yeah. I'm like, okay. Oh. And so, so I had a little bit, uh, you know, I, I, I took a little time off and I said, employee evaluation is broken because I'm also looking at training evaluation and how we do Kirkpatrick levels one and two. Kirkpatrick's not my favorite model, but it's, it's well known. But three and four are like pretty tough. I even brought in somebody to the company I was with and said, 
hey, let's do some training on uh, how to do the higher levels of valuation. And more people were confused when the trainers left than knew how to do the high level of evaluation. And these are people in the industry. And I'm thinking, how do you, how do you, how, employee evaluation is broken. What's broken about it? And that's when I began a search. And, and that led me to a couple of places, by the way. The one place was the human performance improvement model. But then before that, before all that came Thomas Gilbert and his book, Human Competence, which really is the beginning of human performance improvement. And, uh, and the one statement that started me down on a study was, is he, he said this, worthy performance is producing the most value out, valuable outputs with the least amount of behavior. And I said, we're measuring the wrong thing. You decided, look, we're going to pull all of this together. We're going to make this more, make more sense now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you put together this book. You can find uh, on Amazon. You can look up Kent and uh, find the book. And in this book, you actually put together a toolkit. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, first of all, I've had a lot of advice, career advice in my life. And uh, <clears throat> some of it actually did help. <laughs> but, but I've... I've found that some of the uh, advice is outdated. And I found myself in, in my, as I've grown through, uh, I'm talking to millennials and stuff like that. And I'm not by, a millennial by anything. And I'm giving advice and I'm recognizing the advice would be great for me. But it's lousy for them. So my whole idea is I'll, I'll put a toolkit together. And, and one thing I'll base it off is that human performance improvement model. I chose the ATT human performance improvement model. There's there's a couple of others out there. And uh, I said, how do I walk through this model? Because if I had my druthers, everybody would know this model inside and out, and they would be able to show proof of their value as well as create more value. But but it's a, it's a deep model, okay? If you go into it, uh, there's a couple of people who put out, here's how to run a uh, human performance improvement evaluation, or you know, you go all the way from uh, multiple types of analyses to uh, selecting your solution to solution planning through evaluation and and uh, results. Okay, and there's lots of steps in there. In fact, uh, just the evaluation, uh, one vendor had like 114 questions, and th that takes time. It's too deep and it's too much. And I said, you got it do it simpler. So what I did is I said, can I extract the most relevant concepts and turn them into tools? And that happened. I now have five, I think, cool named tools. I've got the <laughs> metric microscope, the value detector, the individual mesh, competence levers, and the relevance microphone. Care to expand mm -hmm. a little on those? I certainly can. Now, the first one I call the metric microscope because you need relevant metrics. And this is where, I, where I, I don't look at the KPIs necessarily, okay? Because I learned from an experience that KPIs don't always matter. For example, uh, well, here's the story. Um, I was told, hey, make everybody, make everybody, all these leaders know what shareholder holder equity means. And so I thought, okay, I'm dutiful. I'll, I'll make sure everybody understands shareholder equity. And I found out that they didn't care. And the reason 
all these leaders in my training class did not care about shareholder equity is they couldn't see themselves in that number. An executive could. An executive could see their influence in it, Mm -hmm. but not these leaders. So if you use the metric microscope, you come up with relevant business results, which means results that tie to the, the, uh, the, the numbers that executives care about, but which you can see your own influence in. So, for example, I use baseball, and this is going to be kind of interesting because most people will think, hey, uh, your batting average could be a relevant business result. But it's not. When you get to the relevant business result, you need to please the executives. And so I can argue that the full stadium or the amount of people coming to the stadium is your relevant business results because you can be the greatest hitter in the world and be a total jerk and nobody would want to come and see you. Or you can be a lousy hitter like uh, Martin Maldonado for the Astros at this time. He's not a great hitter, but he's a fantastic defensive catcher. So people wear his jersey Mm -hmm. and come to the stadium. So he contributes to the owner's equity, the owner's income. The owner gets more money and can pay Maldonado more. That's a relevant business result. He can see his, in fact, in this case, he can literally see his influence because he can count, oh, there's more Maldonado uh, jerseys up there. That's cool. Yeah. The problem is when people stop wearing his jersey, then he knows that he's got a trouble. (laughs) (laughs) So that's, that's an example. There's always a relevant business result that you're one of many who are participating in that result, but you can see your influence. One of the questions that I was thinking of asking is, you know, how does an employee evaluation impact employees' relationship with a company? And that Maldonado example that you just gave is is a wonderful example uh, of that because it's sometimes it's it's sometimes it's not about what it's about, you know. It's you were saying it's not right. about right batting average because it's something else. Well, it's like you know, one year the company said, "Hey, we need to focus on inventory." And I'm thinking, "I'm not doing anything for inventory this year. There's no programs, courses, events, nothing about inventory. So why is it on my evaluation?" I'm at the mercy of everybody else to get that part of the bonus. That's not fair. So, I said, "I got to ha- I got to be able to see myself in the results that are being measured. I got to walk walk all the way up." So that's where where that one's where that one comes from. But you see, that, that's only part of the story. Now you have to say, all right, but how do I actually move that metric? And that's where the value detector comes in. And this is, this is a fascinating, this is, this is the heart of the whole toolkit, in my opinion. Because uh, the value de- detector helps you determine this concept I call value-added outputs. And the value-added outputs are you and your supervisor agreeing. Oh, by the way, your supervisor and you agree on the, on the relevant business results, okay? That way you're, you're not working at odds with your supervisor. But on the, uh, for the value-added outputs, your supervisor and you agree what valued outputs look like. Now, some people will say, aren't those expectations? And I'll say, heck no, because expectations usually, be, usually are about how you do something or are not measurable. Value-added outputs are something that are very clear because they're a noun so that they can be counted. They have criteria so that you know when you've achieved them. And that way, you can track your leading indicators because 
if you do enough of these value-added outputs, your relevant business results will move in the right direction. And if you don't, then you need to self-correct something. So that's, that's the heart right there. And the cool part is, and I'd liked seeing this before, and, and, and almost every business result that's out there, KPI, executives know the leading indicators for that. So when that goes down, they go back where and find which leading indicator has changed, and they act on the areas where the leading indicator has changed. So this is your personal leading indicator for your behavior. That's why I like it. Going back to baseball, now you get into the hitting, <laughs> okay? Yep. But, but you're not measuring necessarily just base hits because baseball is a team sport and you can get, you can have a batting of a 500 and the only time you don't hit is when people are on base. So you'll, you'll end up saying my value added output should not just be my batting average. It should be the batting average with runners on base, which gives them a chance to score. So you have to pick a right value added output too, one that matters, one that is more than you because everything is a team sport in the world of business anymore. You'll get a kick out of this. I actually, I, so I played little league baseball when I was at, like in elementary school and uh -huh. I was so afraid of striking out that all I would do was just watch pitches. And, you know, in elementary school, it's hard for pitchers, or at least back then, you know, they didn't have all the big <laughs> baseball camps like they do now, but back then it was hard for them to hit the broad side of a barn. So I was the leading scorer for two years in a row on my little league team with a batting average of 0. 0. 0. 0.0. Four balls on base. And then I scored. So it's a perfect example of that. It's like I had zero hits and scored the most runs. So, but your but your on base percentage was hundred. On base percentage was off the charts. So I That's, totally get hilarious. where you're going with that. Tell me about the third tool. The third tool when when you're when you're talking about behavior, you always need a way to improve. Okay, you always need to be able to analyze how do how do I improve from here? And I I've looked at it. You know I've well just. Let me go through the human performance improvement model. It's got business analysis, performance and key performance analysis, influence analysis, and um, gap analysis. It's got all these analyses, right? And that's where we can spend forever doing an analysis and we get accused of paralysis by analysis. We're doing all this. And so I looked around and thought through a whole bunch of things. And then, then I remembered a few years ago, a friend and I, um, we, we worked on, I, I had this thought that there's gotta be some other, not a tool that we can, can figure out what we really need to look at. And, uh, it, it ended up being, uh, the mesh analysis. And then I turn it into the individual mesh analysis for, for individuals, but I have an organizational level and a, a mesh one. And the friend, um, Leela Ramsey is the one I was working with, uh, I always need to bounce off someone intelligent and she's intelligent. So it worked. But uh, in the mesh analysis, you're, you bring to the table a few things. You, you, you bring uh, your productivity. Okay. You bring how you handle relationships and you bring your work style. Now those are broad categories, but you know, you get too infinitesimal. It's, it's, it's too much. So I, I put a broad paint, paintbrush on that. And then you're working with 
senior managers, you're working with, or you're working with managers, you're working with peers, and then you're working with the structure. And by structure, I mean, you're working with the software programs that you have to work with. You're working with the fact that people are living in the same office or working in the same office or working all over the world. You're, you're dealing with uh, the work, the, the pro processes, the procedures, things that are out there, what they say for safety, you know, those are the things, but everything is a relationship. It's your relationship with those things that matter. So in this nine box quadrant, you're, you're trying to say, is my, is it does my issue deal with the fact that I am so freaking afraid to deal with senior leaders that I never talk to them. And maybe that's why I'm not actually improving and getting promoted. You know, you ask those questions. The other question would be, um, do I really work with the software program that I'm supposed to work with? Do I do it well enough that people count me as valuable? So I have, I have names in all these boxes and uh, in the middle of, of uh, peers and relationship, uh, the, the name is trust. And of course, it's going to be trust. And that's, that is a major area that people have trouble with. But sometimes you, miss, you say, well, I just have trust levels. And it's not actually trust levels. The fact is that your relationship with the, uh, with the software program or the conditions or the, the, the way that people are distributed is so bad that you can't form a relationship in the first place. And so you're dropping down to another level and seeing something else. And then I always like to point out that um, your productivity and uh, when you're working with structure, the people who can make something out of nothing because their productivity is high and they know how to work the structure to make something out of nothing, they're valuable. If you can ever get into that box, you've got it made. But the box you have to deal with, the box you have to deal with is is your productivity and and your management and your peer and your management because if you're not that's where the value added outputs come in really is that you've got agreement on what to produce and you're producing it but if you don't know and this is a problem many people have they don't even know their expectations if you don't have that agreement you'll never get a, a good report you'll never have a good relationship at work at some point, you and, and work will have to disappear from each other. You, you don't have a relationship to, to build a foundation on. And by the way, you might quit without leaving the job if that relationship is bad too. Mm -hmm. That quiet quitting stuff. Quiet quitting. Yep. Anyway, that's that. So now you have this mesh that you can look at and find which relationship is bad. And then I added one little twist to it. Uh, just because I've done so much work in the past on uh, assessments and all, I said, you actually need to get from that to a problem statement. What is the problem I'm working on? Because if you don't have a problem statement, it doesn't matter that you take the course for it or you get coaching for it or something else. If you've never called it a problem, what does it matter to you? So I push you to call it a problem. So that's that's the quickie on that that tool. Excellent. And so now, tool number four. Tell me a little it's about the, this. I call it the competence levers, and it's handling the bane of all instructional de developers worldwide, because we know darn well our courses can only develop you so far. So the competence level levers say, absolutely, they can only develop us so far, 
And I say, what you really need to do as, as a person is you need to care about clarity. Do you have a clarity of your problem? Because you can't develop yourself if you have no clarity. You'll just take this information in, take that information, or decide you don't really care. So you first have to use the lever of clarity. The second level lever is the lever of motivation. Because you can be clear about a program, problem. If you're not motivated to take care of it, then I can I can put you in in the most motivational classroom, and and it's not going to happen. Which reminds me of the time I did a I was forced to do a hearing conservation training, and unfortunately I came in and I detected uh, the smell of death in the audience. <laughs> <laughs> meaning they were not motivated at all and i put on my best song and dance things that usually got rave reviews and i detected three movements in one half hour three minor movements one being someone actually put the corner of one side of their mouth up in a little bit of a green <laughs> so motivation is a big deal to me <laughs> Oh man! Uh, the, the, uh, on, on the converse, I still was. These are these are. Uh, uh, this was a hard group to work with, but I also had this uh, little tiny procedure training. Procedure training is the worst because nobody's motivated per, about procedure training, unless you turn the the review of the, the the training you did into an anagram, and the anagram, and you're training near the 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 Super Bowl, and the anagram tells people what you're prediction of the Super Bowl is. And I had 99% compliance in going through that, that I had one person that sat back and said, Nope, I'm not going to do it. I don't do these things. I don't. But when everybody else was doing it, he wasn't seeing the answer. He finally gave in. Everybody was motivated to know my prediction. I don't know why I think I was wrong. <laughs> so that's motivation. The next one are resources. Now, so many people will say, resources, you're right. I need these resources so that I can learn, so that I can grow, so that I blah, blah, blah. Now, the answer is, is you need to develop the resources or find the resources. You need to search the resources. You need to identify the resources because you know what? The catalog of training in your company will not always match what you need. You need to go outside. You need to go somewhere. This is why I love ATD, by the way. And ATD Houston is that between the peers and between the programming, I have all these resources to use no matter what company I'm in or I'm working with. So you go find the resources. And finally, you get down to skills, which is skills development. So unless you use those four levers, you're not going to really develop. You just you, you can't get where you need to go. You can get something, but you can't get really where you need to go. So that, those are the competence levers. And tell me about that fifth tool in there. That fifth tool is called the relevance microphone. And, and, it, and, and it's uh, built from just basically if a tree falls in a forest and nobody's around to hear, is there a sound? Well, if you build value and you can't communicate value, are you valued? Mm. So I put relevance microphone in there to help the communication of value. And so what you'll see on the relevance microphone, and there's a worksheet for all of these, by the way, and there's also uh, uh, agendas to work with uh, supervisors and mentors. Because I, I, I learned along the way that 
if I, I, I didn't really know how to work with a mentor. And then I found out if I had this structure, I would know how to work with a mentor. And so I'm, I'm like, why didn't I develop this when I started my career instead of at the end of my career when I finally figured out what I needed? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, it's never too late, right? You know. Uh, yeah, exactly. So the relevance microphone essentially shows you how to take what you've done now, the metric microscope, value detector, individual mesh, confidence levers, and how to consistently communicate it with your supervisor. And now you go away from perceived value to objective value. And the cool part is you've agreed and talked to your supervisor on all of this. And so now you're in agreement, you're in knowledge of what's happening with life. It's not a guess, it's not an interpretation, it's an agreement. So when I lay this relevance microphone on your desk and you look at my metric microscope, my relevant business results stats, my uh, value-added output stats, uh, the uh, motivation, looking at what I'm really learning at, I don't have actually even have to talk to you about where I am in life. Now I'll still do that, but we've already made that agreement so that when you look at it, you know that I know where I am value-wise, and now you know where I am value-wise. And uh, you can even look at that and say, dang, he's ready for a promotion. Dang, I need to get her in a better place. You know, you can, it just changes the dynamic. So those are the five tools. So you take these tools. We use tools to build. We use tools to fix. So with these tools, I mean, what are you trying to fix with training evaluation? I like that question because uh, <clears throat> I was focused on the individual for a while. And then at some point in time, I said, I, I don't like where training evaluation is either. And so I, I said, okay, how am I going to take that apart? And the big aha with training evaluation is when we get to levels, Kirkpatrick's level three or four, or the learning transfer evaluation model or LTEM, which is the model I'm starting to prefer actually. And uh, there's tier seven and eight. Um, it changes how we do those because at, at that level and, and at that level, I should say what we're doing is um, we're doing transfer of learning or behavior. Okay. That's tier seven or uh, Kirkpatrick three. So transfer of learning or behavior. And how we do that now is uh, we wait till about like six months after and say, did transfer actually take place? Let's do all sorts of, you know, ask the supervisor, is that person using what we train and is they, the supervisor doing better? You ask the person, are you doing better? Uh, sometimes you get objective results or objective metrics if you've, you've uh, captured um, what you needed to capture in the first place. Sometimes you're just asking questions. And then the, uh, the next level is tier uh, eight, which is... Uh, it's effects of transfer or Kirkpatrick four, which is the results that often ends up with a return on an uh, investment or return on expectations or some sort of return. Okay. Now we might wait until two years to actually do that, which has led to complaints that say, once you finally do the ROI it's too late to do any correction. And those are also one-time events. I've known many times that people have gone ahead and done this ROI because they wanted to prove the value of training. And it was great for a while, but in a year, a new supervisor took over the training group. And the question is, what have you done? What are you doing today? And all of this disappears, all that recognition, all the good stuff you did. So I said, okay, let me apply the fact that I am now dealing with metrics that move. Okay. Because when you're dealing with relevant business results, 
you're looking at trends. They keep moving. You measure all the time. When you're looking at value-added outputs, you're looking at trends. You're looking at your leading indicators. You're watching the trend of your leading indicators. You're, you're producing metrics. And oh, by the way, they're the results you need for those top levels. So what you're actually being able to do is run control charts, run statistical process control. You're actually able to look at them as if they're any other process. To the point that you, you, you can actually just put a course in motion and then collect those metrics, which by the way, if you've done it as I recommend, you make the participant, the, yeah, the your training participants and their supervisors. You teach this to the trained participants and supervisors how to do the, re the relevance microphone and the value detector. So they do it for you. And you teach them how to do the relevance microphone. And then you ask for the data from the relevance microphone. You now have this data rolling in all the time where you can start saying, oh, look, look what we've done. We see these trends moving up. You can even push them onto a similar chart by you know, saying percentage increase or something like that. All of a sudden you have all this tons of data that just rolls into you with a little bit of effort and you don't have to go do this massive study that you only do once and is remembered for two months. So that's where I focused on. And I said, that's, that's, that's actually how I did it without knowing that I did it because that's what <laughs> I cared about is what, you know, a month after training, I'm out there saying, okay, what's happening? What's happening? Who's doing what? Two months after training, what's happening? I, you know, the six months never was good for me. I, I can't wait that long to know what's happening. So now I've got these, these things. I'm training them. Then the only time you need to go into a, 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 a deeper dive is if your trend is not going where you want it, as fast as you want it or direction you want it. Then you do a deeper dive and say, what's really going on? What, why is my program not producing the trend I want? And then the cool part is you always have access to the ROI because if you do your charts right, you actually can measure ROI as the difference between where they were and where they're continuing to go. So I can say my ROI on July 1st was this. My ROI in August 1st was this. You can trend your ROI if you want. So it's, it's kind of a cool thing. I, I, I like it. <laughs> now in your book, it's apparent <laughs> you are not a fan of the annual appraisal. So what would you, I mean, what changes would you like to see in the annual appraisal? I mean, what's your vision for the future of, of appraisals and employee evaluation? I guess it's kind of a two-part question there, isn't it? Yes. Uh, I would like to see the primary discussion be about value-added outputs and that trend in the, in the annual appraisal to go with it. Because the annual appraisal, I mean, you think of what an annual appraisal is based on now. Give us some goals. Great. Now, Bruce, if you've been a corporate person in the past and you produce goals, how many goals stayed relevant for one year? Mm -hmm. That's the problem. And so by the end of the year, when you're changing your goals, you're changing them based on the perception of you and your supervisor, which puts perception into play. Second, if you do have a goal and you have this rating scale that says meets, exceeds, greatly exceeds. Tell me at what point in the goal have you actually reached exceeds or meet greatly exceeds? 
it it's not it doesn't give you anything it, it allows for too much um, perception or too much favoritism sometimes in fact i think that's one of our problems with with uh, diversity and all that and and i'll, I'll say it this way uh, my daughter has has helped me understand that uh it's for many times, uh, women uh, haven't pushed as hard as men for higher numbers or for more. It's just not their style. But if they had uh, value-added output, so that there was a comparison by value-added outputs, for the you know, then the supervisors would have a far more objective way than than having to deal with the uh, perceptions of people and their own personal biases and perceptions. So since goals are the primary thing and the goals are the primary thing, thing that are rated and they're, they're, they've got perception bias. And then most other things that are also included are perception or not fitting very well. As I said, one year we were told inventory was important. I had nothing for it. So you get rid of that stuff. And then the other part of it is the annual part. So for my toolkit, I emphasize the, the continuing communication of value through the year. Mm. Okay. I now have two or three years of charts. The other thing is if, if I change in the midstream, say something happens like, oh gosh, this never happens. The oil industry collapses in three months. Okay. Happens about every four years now. Oh, actually every year now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, it happens as often now. And so if you're going by goals, you'd need to change them. Your value-added outputs could possibly stay the same because you're still developing the same type of value. You may not see all the return. It might be a little bit more difficult, but you can understand, understand why. Or the other thing is you might need to modify your value-added output for the situation, but you can do that and you're still having objective me measurements that are understood. So actually the value added output, the, the whole toolkit gives you a ton of flexibility to modify for conditions, yet retain the past measurements as well as collect the measurements you are now getting from where you are today. It changes the game. I, I look at it and I say, I, in the long run, if I could, I'd put value added outputs in the hands of every employee. And, and uh, relevant business results. I put this whole thing in every employee so that they can also grab the information for their next resume should they need it for a promotion or if the company's not recognizing their value, something more than a promotion, shall we say. But they have the numbers. So if you think, what do they say on the resume now? They say, you need to put down statements that make people understand your value. Well, for many of us, we we've been stuck at times with saying, well, what was my value? What were the metrics that were related to my job? We don't have them. If you use this toolkit, you have them. So that's what I'd like to see. It, 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 it changes the way, in fact, annual appraisal can be a summary of the last year, objective based on these, uh, or you can even let annual appraisal go by away because you now have the information you need to make salary decisions at any month of the year, promotion decisions at any month of the year, uh, uh, changing positions to another just you know, lateral 
any month of the year. It's a revolutionary approach, really. So Kent, if somebody wants to, to, to get a hold of you and they want to talk to you more about it and find out how you can help their organization or they just want to pick your brain a little bit, uh, what would be the best way to get in touch with you? Oh, go ahead and drop me a note at uh, kent.nuttle at torchsolutionsgroup.com. Uh, that's my, my business email there. And that gets to me. Or you, if you just remember Kent Nuttle, look at me at LinkedIn or look, you can contact me through my, my website, torchsolutions.com, torchsolutionsgroup.com. I'm sorry, torchsolutionsgroup.com. So. And no doubt if you're an ATD Houston member, you're going to run into Kent one way or another at any of our various uh, events, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, you just need to look up. I'm kind of on the tall side. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's like I can't really take a picture uh, with Kent without like wanting to stand on my, my tippy toes there. Uh, and also the book, Untapped Value, The Power of Meaningful Competence, which you can find on Amazon. Kent, thank you so much for coming on today and helping us get this podcast kicked back off again and uh, what a fantastic way to do it thank you so much well thank you and i i keep challenging everybody you know reinvent was a great theme we need to continue to reinvent and uh hey I, i'll discuss what i've reinvented and give me some of your ideas and i'll help you develop them i'll talk to you about that I, i'd love to help people out that is awesome. And we want to thank you for joining us here on our latest episode of Train to Win. And hey, be sure to visit our website, tdhouston.org. You can uh, also um, become a member of ATD Houston if you are not, or uh, ATD National, become a power member. That would be even better. But as far as the podcast, hey, subscribe to the show, an Apple podcast, uh, Spotify, pretty much any of your favorite podcast platforms. Uh, subscribe. That way you never miss an episode. We're going to keep these going now. And if you found value in the show, uh, hey, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes and maybe simply tell a friend about the show, share it with your boss, share it with a colleague. Uh, that would be awesome too. Train to Win is a production of ATD Houston. This is Bruce Abbott saying thank you so much for coming back and joining us again. And we'll see you next time for another episode of Train to Win.